Welcome to the Ray Johnston Leadership Podcast, part of the Thrive Podcast family. This is a place to focus on helping pastors and leaders discover or rediscover their purpose, passion, and vision. Ray Johnston is the founding pastor of the Bayside Family of Churches. He's the architect of all the Global Thrive Conferences. He is also an award-winning author and a widely sought-after speaker, mentor, and leadership authority. Each episode of the Ray Johnston Leadership Podcast is a conversation between Ray and his hand-picked, world-renowned guests as they share timeless principles, timely insight, and new ideas on how to grow as a leader wherever you're planning. Today with Ray, Bishop, author, filmmaker, and pastor of the Potter's House in Dallas, Texas, Bishop T.D. Jakes. So let's get right into this episode of the Ray Johnston Leadership Podcast. Hey Thrive, it isn't very often when you get to have somebody in, in, in your conference that is this well-loved, this well-liked. Uh, Bishop T.D. Jakes has a track record of God-honoring Bible teaching and leadership and community and worldwide impact. Uh, he pastors the Potter's House. Uh, he has spoken to more people than anybody I know. Time Magazine named him the best preacher in America. And Bishop, when I found this out, I told you the other day when we were talking, I pick a leader every year and listen to him all year long. Over 10 years ago, I picked you. You wrecked me for everybody else, and I've been listening to you ever since. So, Oh, I'm honored. <laughs> so I'm thanks flattered. so much for joining the Thrive Summit. Hey, by the way, we hey. were joking earlier. You are looking good, man. So, well, you know, I, I, I would love to say I got dressed up for you, but the truth of the matter <laughs> is I was on uh, WFAA this morning and I've got a town hall meeting with uh, police officers and police unions uh, after this. So I had to dress for the day and hope I had to pick a suit that I thought wouldn't wear out. <laughs> <laughs> hey, so let's let's actually start there. Um, the in your community the police department wants you in the conversation, which I think is Absolutely. a really cool thing. So uh, what are you going to do been, when you, what are you going to say to Go ahead, I'm sorry. Oh, what are you going to do, what do you hope to go, I want to share this with these officers. Sure, sure. We, we have uh, periodically done what we call conversations with America. Uh, the last time I did one was after five police officers were uh, shot here in Dallas. And our community was traumatized. And I brought back uh, together both. There were protesters, but the protesters didn't do the shooting. It was some uh, former veteran who kind of went off the rails and, and shot five police officers. And everybody was upset. The The police officers were really just protecting the protesters and and part of our community. And the whole city was grieving. And we brought everybody together. Uh, the protesting was a result of uh, an injustice that was going on in another part of the country. And uh, we brought the family of the bereaved family, the African-American family that had caused the protest in the first place to erupt uh, through the loss of their loved one. And we also brought the police together and we brought the community together. We had a conversation. I'm back again. And this time I'm back because you can't have a one-sided conversation and just have a conversation with protesters and not include uh, the police officers. I want to better understand uh, 
the fraternal order amongst police, the culture of the organization, what they see when they see the images that we see, how they explain them, how we can work together to create, uh, restore trust in the community, what has not worked well for us, what will work well, uh, what, what is different about our police department as opposed to the uh, police department in Minneapolis in terms of how they handled George Floyd? And how can we circumvent these problems from happening? There's been 18 more cases since the George Floyd case that has come to surface around the country. Uh, there's been a 75-year-old Caucasian man pushed over in the floor, hemorrhaging at the brain uh, since George Floyd. There's been uh, international reporters who have have been harassed by police officers since George Floyd. There's been police officers who prayed with protesters since George Floyd. There have been police officers who joined in with the protesters since George Floyd. So you've got all of these different variables, both good and bad, happening up under badges in blue. And I want to better understand what is really going on in their world, listen at them talk, give them a safe space to vent, and share their frustrations and their ideas and what really needs to change in order to uh, move our country forward in a more positive direction. Fantastic. Um, so let's start with better understanding. Um, help everybody listening to this better understand the impact of systematic racism over generations. My, my easiest illustration of systematic uh, racism is my iPhone. When, when we think of systematic racism, we often think of it in terms of an in, intentional plot, and sometimes, and in some cases, it is. But in other cases, it's just a, a, a proclivity that occurs uh, sometimes innocently. My iPhone, for example, was designed by white guys uh, to, and they use their face for face detection on the iPhone so that the iPhone is programmed to determine facial features but all of the people who tested them were white. So there's all kinds of articles, you can Google it, that the face recognition device on most phones and in the airports were not designed to recognize black faces. Well, I can't get rid of my black face and I bought my phone. How do I get the phone that has a system that was not designed for me to recognize me? Mm -hmm. Now, that's one thing with the phone, and that's an easy example. Let's take that to a bank. Let's take it to a bank that has a system that is designed for a different clientele than mine, for a different type of business than mine. Let's take that to a criminal justice system that if you can afford an attorney rather than a court-appointed attorney, and if you're golfing with the judge and you have a relationship in the community at the country club and your son gets in trouble, you can have a conversation with somebody that can really do some good. But if I'm poor and brown or black or even white, and I don't have those accruements, then the system is not designed to accommodate me. I have to take what they give me, and I have to live with the consequences of it. Let's take that to school, and let's start talking about how we learn, how we learn differently. We, we are one people, but we learn differently. 
If I look in the books and the pictures don't look like me, the illustrations don't sound like the community I live in. I can't relate to the process. It becomes more difficult for me to connect. If I don't live around anybody who's a doctor or a lawyer and I live in a suppressed neighborhood, why would I pay attention in a biology class when it has nothing to do with the world as I know it? So when you start talking about systems, uh, sometimes they are innocently built uh, to my disadvantage. And sometimes they are intentionally built because we must recognize that we have a country that in its constitution says that we were three-fifths human. And we have spent the last few hundred years trying to prove our other two-fifths. Yep. You have to recognize that as wonderful as and as creative as the founding fathers were in their ability to create a constitution unrivaled by any other country in the world, at the, by the same token, they were also our, our masters, sleeping with our women, producing multiracial. That's why we're in so many colors, that they beat us, that they uh, raped us, that they castrated people in my family. You have to understand that when you say founding fathers, you get a warm feeling. When, when, when I say founding fathers, we get indigestion because we got the backside of the good side. So you, when, when you look at America's history and you start talking about police, you, your heart gets warm when you see police in your community because you feel protected. But my image of police officers begins with dogs and hoses. And my grandfathers began with police officers helping them to round up runaway slaves. So historically, passing down from generation to generation, the ideology that exists in our community about police starts from a very negative experience. In spite of the fact that I pastor I'm not ignorant. I know there are lots of great uh, police officers. I pastor both black and white police officers that, that, that are impeccable people. But still, when lights flash behind me, I get uncomfortable because in the pulpit, I'm the pastor. But on the highway, I'm a black guy. And depending on how I'm dressed and what neighborhood I'm in and who the police officer is, I, could, I might as well be a runaway slave. And those realities don't often exist in white communities. But these systems are set up, so now I'm arrested. And if I don't have resources, I can't afford a great attorney. This, uh, this is where the system is rigged. And the DA gets elected quicker if they have a record of being tough on crime. So I am a tool to help get them elected because they are rewarded for being mean to me. So at the end, when they're running for election a year, we, we, we're tough on crime. We had X number of arrests. We have the murder rates gone down. This has gone down. And we put 300 or 400 people in jail. Bam. Oh, that makes you feel safe. That makes me feel hunted. So when you start talking about systemic racism, it is all of that and so much more. Uh, that even in our, and we can talk more about this later, even in our STEAM programs, we had to help Microsoft recraft the STEAM program 
uh, and Texas Instruments in such a way that black kids would be interested in them because all of the programs are designed with the wrong kinds of music and the wrong kinds of images that without saying I'm not invited, the images, if I don't see myself, I don't feel welcome. Yeah. Okay. I want to understand this in your family, okay? Because okay. can you just kind of share your family's experience with us? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and by the way, sorry to ask, when we talked about this the other day, my wife was in tears. Well, first of all, I am T.D. Jakes. I'm actually the second T.D. Jakes. The first T.D. Jakes was my grandfather. Uh, he was murdered by a white racist in Mississippi. He was murdered on June the 9th uh, while coming home from work to come to my grandmother, who was pregnant, with their second child. He never, she was cooking dinner. He was coming home. He never made it. They threw him in the lake, wrapped him up in barbed wire, and they brought what was left of my grandfather to my pregnant grandmother uh, to bury. Uh, they did it on June the 9th. And it so happened that I was born on June the 9th, several years later, and my mother named me after him without even knowing that he was murdered on June the 9th. Hmm. I didn't even know the whole story until Henry Louis Gates did a DNA test on me and Oprah Winfrey and Quincy Jones and several others and, and found the date. I knew my grandfather was murdered. I knew he, he was murdered, but I didn't know the backstory behind it. Wow. So I never had a grandfather on either side of my family. Uh, my, other, my mother's father was a sharecropper. And I never had a grandfather on either side of my family. And some of my uncles, great uncles, I never met because they were runaways from the South. Slavery was over, but they still had to run because if the community decided to chase you, you had to run and disassociate yourself from your family. So there are Jakeses that live in different areas that are related to me uh, that, I, that I don't know uh, that I don't know them, that they're not, not connected to me. And the other thing that you have to understand about African-American families, we don't have names. We, we, we don't have names like white people have names that go back to Europe or uh, Scotland or, or Italy. Our, our names tell us who owned us. Hmm. So it was very often in the South like with my grandfather, with my great-grandfather, part of the family uh, had one name and the other part of the family that were blood brothers, completely kin, same mother, same dad, they were Williams and the others were Smileys because the Williams owned this group of them and the Smileys owned that group of them. Our families were ripped apart by slavery. So when you start talking about that, the whole family unit, we're not just having family problems uh, in the ghettos of America. We had family problems years ago for the benefit of uh, capitalism in this country created slavery, not racism. Capitalism, the desire to have free labor for agricultural society, society uh, in the South, and then in the North for textiles, we were cheap labor. And to a degree, Ray, 
that's still going on because some of the stores you shop in are getting commodities that are made by predominantly black people locked up in prison, free labor, lower the cost, huh. increase the profit margin. As long as you make it profitable to alienate me, hurt me, or incarcerate me, then, then you can't get justice because it's not just about justice. There's a whole ecosystem that is affected by our criminal justice system. Those are just a few examples of things that we encountered personally uh, growing up uh, as a child, uh, going to the back of the restaurants to get food, watching my father go to the back door to get food, going to the third bathroom, not male, not female, but colored. Uh, those every every African American my age could tell you the same story, uh, to, right down to the lynchings and the murders and the killings. This is not unique to me. This is common to me, and this is not long ago. Because when I hear other people describe American history, they describe American history as if slavery were long ago. My great grandmother was a slave, and I. I was 10 years old when she died. I remember her. And I saw the brand on her body where they took a hot iron and scorched her skin so that she would be marked as a slave. She was freed before she died. But that is our legacy as a family. And more currently, I live every day with the fear that my sons won't come home in a bag. and. Um, and that they'll be safe. Including if your son gets in a car accident. Yes, my son got into a car accident, called me late at night, said, Dad, I'm in trouble. And my heart leaped up into my throat because for your, he, he's a grown man. But for him to say, I'm in trouble and call me, I knew it was serious. He said, I just had a car wreck. And uh, he said, I think the car is total and I'm not sure if the driver's not hurt. He ran into me and I was coming home from getting something to pick me up, something to eat. And, and, and he ran into me and, and, and my heart was in my throat. And I said, are you okay? He said, I'm okay. I'm just shaking up a little bit. I'm not sure about the other guy. I said, uh, keep me on the phone. He said, the ambulance is here and the police are here. When he said the police are here, I said, keep me on the phone because I wanted to hear. I was more afraid of the police mishandling my son than I was of the wreck. When I heard the police officer speak to my son like a person, I was so relieved that, that the wreck was not the problem. The problem was being out late at night and being black and being vulnerable. And I told my son, look straight ahead. Don't do this. Don't do that. Don't leave till he says you can leave. Don't do this. Don't say anything. Don't make any sudden moves. Don't be emotional. Hold yourself together. I'm trying to keep him alive so that I don't end up sitting beside Attorney Crump somewhere in a courtroom fighting for the remains of, of my son's life. And it doesn't matter how famous you are, and it doesn't matter what resources you have on the street in the moment, you can die. That's our reality. And, 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 and you, you have to understand something, Ray. There are 40 million black people in America. We are not a monolith. We don't agree about anything. We have, we're just like white people. We disagree about everything imaginable. 
But we all agree about the criminal justice system. Uh-huh. And unless you believe that we all got together, 40 million of us, and had a meeting and scripted ourselves, which is ridiculous, then you have to admit that we have a problem. And I think that the thing that excites me the most about the times we're living in right now is that all the things that I'm talking to you about are are different forms of molestation. They may not be sexual, but they're molestation. Child molestation is when somebody in power takes their power and uses it to abuse somebody without power. All of these, are, whether it's a badge or a gun or you're a bank president or you're in a country that's designed for you, you have power or you're a slave master, you have power. We were powerless. So you're, you're talking about abuse and, and all of the problems in our community stem from that abuse, self-hatred. You would expect it in an abused child. Mm-hmm cutting themselves. You would expect it in an abused child. You're talking about the abuse of power and that perpetuates itself through our society. And because slavery wasn't long ago and because Jim Crow wasn't long ago and because I grew up listening at Dr. King preach in my own generation, we like, we have a tendency when it doesn't concern us to throw the past far away because we don't want to look at it. We, we, we want to make it antiquated so it's not relevant. But to those of us who have PTSD from it, yeah. it we live with it every day. And yeah. triggers ignite fear and anger and passion like it would any abused group or society of people. Yep. The, <clears throat> I've got another follow-up question to that, but I, I want to ask a side question. Um, I'm a mega church pastor. You are, I hate the term. <laughs> the, yeah, I do too. And occasionally somebody will say to me, I'll get attacked. They'll go, all you mega church pastors are, you know, and you <laughs> right. get, we get lumped in with whatever the worst thing yeah. of which just happened. The same thing is happening to police officers that are good God-honoring people in your church, in my church, and around the country. What would you say to a police officer right now that is going, this is breaking my heart too, but it is so hard to hear, and we're all getting lumped into the same thing. What would you say to folks like that? You know, uh, I am so encouraged by the good images that I saw. I saw police officers who took those kids, those are kids out there marching. People your age and my age, if we march, we don't march far. <laughs> Before our back hurts and our knee hurts. One we, block, baby. <laughs> they have to develop a protesting mechanism where we can drive, okay? <laughs> so when you see a bunch of protesters, you see a bunch of kids, adolescents, a few older people, but a lot of young people who are, are full of energy and drive and and dreams and 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 energy and anger and everything. Yeah. And I saw a lot of the, some of the police officers hug some of those kids and say, I hear you. Mm-hmm. I get you. I believe you. The greatest thing about this moment is to be believed. Mm-hmm. You have to realize that even a year ago, if I did an interview on a network and said these things, they'd say I was race baiting. They, they, they have names to shut you up. 
And so to be believed is healing. When I would say to those police officers, because you have the gun, you have to be the bigger person. Because you are the adult in the room and you have the gun and you have access to backup and you've got the cars, you have to be the bigger person and let those kids know I hear you and let's sit down at the table and let's reason together and work it out. And, and, I, and, and I feel for them. That's why I'm meeting with them because that's a really tough job for really poor pay yep. with really bad hours in really tough situations. I absolutely get it. Most yeah. police officers can't even afford to live in the cities they protect. Yep. Because their salaries will not pay for the real estate in the city that they're protecting. I, I understand the plight of being a public servant. But what needs to happen is a stereotypical idea. Those kids don't get to see those good police officers. They are sent to your neighborhood in the, in the neighborhoods that are perilous and poor. There's a different kind of police officer that patrols that neighborhood. And so what we really need is trust established. And, and I think the other thing that's important about this, the, the reason I'm excited, and I think we're at a turning point. I mean, look at me and you. We're, we're talking. That's right. Isn't that fantastic? <laughs> We're having a civil conversation and neither one of us are angry and both of us love Jesus and both of us love us and I can still tell the truth because before, in order to be in the fellowship, I had to hide my truth huh. for, the, for the benefit of fitting into an environment that I was accepted in mm. as long as I didn't say anything. Mm. But but now I can tell the truth and still be your brother. That's a wonderful thing. When I look and see black people and white people marching in the streets, hoping for the same values, it's not about black and white, it's about right and wrong. That to put your knee on somebody's neck and crush them till they bleed to death on the floor is wrong. To push an old, older white gentleman over and him lose his balance and bang his head and walk past him and let the blood spill on the pavement is wrong. It doesn't matter whether you're white or whether you're black, certain things are wrong. The notion that 99.9% .9 of police officers are good, I challenge that. What is that stat based on? But I do say that the majority yeah. of people who sign up for the police force are not weird, they're not strange, they're not murderers, they're not killers. What I wanna talk to these police officers about is what is it about this environment that when you get in it, the stress, the fatigue, the, the walking in on crime scenes, the murders, what does it turn you into? Yep. What culture evolves as you keep seeing uh, horrific situations that none of us see every day? How do you get therapy or relief? What support mechanisms are there for our police officers having to be everything to everybody and put their lives in danger every day? You think that doesn't have consequences? It had consequences in the military. We're still treating our veterans who came back because they saw too much and heard too much. We're not treating our police officers. And when they do go rogue, we don't have a system that not only not only identifies them and gets them help when they need it, 
but also handles the case when they've misappropriated justice. Instead, Ray, we have made the mistake that the Catholic Church did. We move our problem police officers from precinct to precinct rather than fire them because of the police union won't let you fire them. So you hide them like moving priests to a different location. And that anger, like in the, in the case with the police officer with George Floyd, I think it was 18 cases had been found against him previously. And so we're moving the problem. We're not healing the problem. That needs to happen. Um, this hasn't happened to me in this whole conference. I'm getting choked up listening to you talk. The, wow. We, because something deep inside me, and I know when we talked the other day, I went deep inside you is going, man, I want this to get better. The, and, and in other words, it seems like a storm comes, people rile up, it calms down. This one's starting to feel a little different, like yeah. maybe something could happen. Um, and so I want to ask a pastor question. Um, and okay. it's so okay. fun to talk to you because you're one of the people <laughs> I consider to be a pastor. They, um, we had a prayer walk about a week ago in Sacramento. A bunch of my pastors went down. We walked, uh, what do they call it? A march called We walked from a park, and you're right, guys, my age, it was one block, man. We walked from a park <laughs> to a church. It was with the it was with the chief of police, other police officers right. there. I'm walking side by side, actually, with a cop. The um, and it was pastors, police. Now there were also protesters, and there right. were people there that were actually protesting the march and protesting that we would walk with a cop or with right. a police chief. And it is it is multi ethnic. It's all of our pastors. We actually walked to a church. Um, pastors spoke, the police chief spoke, Pro, pro-violence protesters were on site in megaphones screaming at the people advocating for peace and prayer. We knelt down, we get, it was just this amazing experience. And I just went, I was honored to be there side by side with people praying for the city. And, um, and it felt like the community come together. I have gotten, you know, I have gotten go ahead, go ahead. more, I have gotten more flack from people that look like me for going to that because they would see people holding signs or this one guy yelling in the bullhorn, F the police, which means they're misunderstanding what I'm even at. And I literally went, I just went to walk peacefully and pray and to be connected to and listen and be try to be part of healing the community. And I'm getting all this, and it just feels like our, our Christians and our country are so amped, overreacting, over-condemning, not listening. Pastor everybody for a minute, just what do we have to do to be God-honoring in all this chaos? First of all, the fact that you would march over something that made us weep, you have no idea. You have no idea what your presence does to validate and authenticate that we are valuable, that we matter. That, 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 that you would go out there and walk or pray or eat a Tootsie Roll 
I don't care what you did. <laughs> your presence there is a, the best sermon you ever preached. I can go back and tell my kids, see, it's not about skin. There are some white people that, that do care about our blood in the street. See, there are people who will pray with us and who really think that we matter. See, Christianity, because this is common in the black community, what I'm getting ready to say, Christianity is not the white man's religion. It, 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 it's not just for politics. It's not just to change policies. He really believes it. He, he, he does what Jesus did. He went out there and sat where we sat, wept where we wept, felt our pain. He didn't stay in the safety of his sanctuary where the amens run free. Yep. He went out there. Jesus got more trouble from the religious people than he ever got from the sinners. <laughs> Jesus got out there with the people. And, and I, I just, I, I almost lose the point because I cannot tell you the, the only reason this feels different this time is because white people are out there too. It changes the whole game. <clears throat> yep. It changes the game in how the politicians handle it. It changes the game in terms of how black people see it. Black people are aghast by the fact. You heard us. That's what all the breaking out the windows and all the crazy stuff and, and all the tantrums were about. He, can, can you hear me now? If I kneel in a football field, it's not disrespect to the flag. I love the flag. Uh, we fought for the flag when we were slaves. We fought for the flags when we couldn't eat in the restaurant. This is not about the flag. It was about what was happening in our community. So we did it peaceful, we were wrong. We did it loud, we were wrong. And then all of a sudden, whites started getting it and flooding to the street. And it's not that George Lloyd uh, was, was, was a model citizen. That's irrelevant. It was something about his neck being crushed and his blood seeping out on the pavement and a trail of urine on the floor and a grown man calling for his mama that reached you in a way that said we mattered. Huh. Huh. And, and Every time you show up, and I know it costs you something, and I know you're going to be criticized, and I know you're going to be ostracized. You pay a great price to speak up, as did Jesus. Whenever you do what is really right, you pay a great price because it's not that the people who criticize you are bad. It's that they, they are willfully blind. Mm -hmm. They choose not to see. Mm -hmm. You, you, I, I like to refer to them as the priest and the Levite in the story of the Good Samaritan who came where the man was bleeding on the road. And the Bible said that they looked at him and then turned their heads and walked away. Because you don't have to live in that neighborhood and you don't have to deal with me on the job and you don't have to deal with me at the bank. You can get a PhD and not understand me, but I can't get a GED without understanding you. <laughs> And so you can turn and look away. 
I, now, I don't live in the hood. I'm black. I don't live in the hood. I've never been mugged. I don't want to be mugged. I've, you know, I have no more <laughs> desire to be mugged than you do. I moved into the best neighborhood I could afford to, and I'm there by the moths. If I miss a payment, they'll throw me out, and I might end up in the hood. But the truth of the matter is I grew up poor. I grew up black. I grew up American. I grew up in a Christian home. I grew up with values. I grew up with an, a sense of identity that I don't see act out on the street. It's good in the church. Sing the hymns. Clap your hands. But until the love of Jesus breaks through the stained glass windows and runs into the streets of America, we will always have trouble. You can't be a missionary to Africa and bypass Watts. Yep. You can't care about souls in Ethiopia and bypass D.C., South Chicago, and just think that their souls matter over there and not over here. You have to have compassion. Jesus' question, the proverbial question was, who is your neighbor? And when you walk down that street, even with people who were angrier than you, and even with people who used language that you didn't use, Jesus often hung out with people who did things that he didn't do. Yeah. You define who is your neighbor for us in a way that not only gives you a level of gratification and a sense of Christ-likeness that you could never get just preaching in the safety of your sanctuary, it also gives me something to show to my children as an example so that they won't judge you by your skin. Because mm -hmm. prejudice is not prejudice. Anybody can be it. Mm -hmm. And so you, you're teaching us who you are, and, and we're teaching you who we are. And that's where relationships begin, when we start telling each other who we are, what we're right about, what we're wrong about, what, what we're afraid of, what we went through. That's, that's how you and I connect. Yep. And, and that's how we're going to build a better America. When we really start connecting with each other on a, on a human level, this, this is humanity. I don't care that that 75-year-old man was white. There's no way in the world. There's no way in the world. I would see you bleeding in the street, fell over and hit your head on the pavement and walk past you, whether I knew you or not. I was raised to be compassionate. We're, we're, we're not asking people to be an abolitionist. We're asking them to have humanity. Great if you got Christianity, but at the, at the least, have humanity. You cannot, you cannot fight for the whales. You cannot send money to the dogs that are left without homes. You cannot fight for the seals that are running out of food and fish and not care about the kids in your own city. Okay. Um, That's what I'm saying. So let me take that one step deeper. Okay. First of all, that was incredible. Um, <laughs> we, a lot of people are watching this and they're on the board uh, in the church or, or the pastor, I mean, thousands of pastors are watching this and they're pastoring a church that's primarily white. Okay. And if they were saying, you know what, it's time to no longer walk away. What are the smartest things they could do? Ooh, that's, that's a really good question. Uh, I think you can, you can find a church that's not just talking the talk, but walking the walk in the inner city. Mm 
and empower them. Hmm. Uh, they need support. They need resources. You have naturally what we have to fight for. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you have no idea <laughs> how much harder it is to build, to buy, to school, to, to educate with limited resources from lots of your parishioners. And I have wealthy parishioners, but the percentage in comparison is nowhere like my white counterparts. And so partnering with them, and don't just give your resources, go out there, feel it, teach it, train it, adopt a business, teach financial literacy classes in their church. Hmm. See, see, it matters where racial reconciliation occurs. We've made several stabs at this about us coming to your church. But you know what really is amazing? When you come to mine, when you come over into my world, when you come over and and, and you, in the book of Ezekiel, Ezekiel says that I went to the rivers of Shabar and I sat where they sat. When he, 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 he said, I went in the heat of my spirit. I thought a whole lot of things. But when I sat where they sat for seven days, he said, I was astonished and I couldn't say a word. Come sit where I sit. Come on over and let me give you some ribs in the hood. Come on over and eat some <laughs> banana pudding. Come on over and, 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 and experience my life. It's not that it's that bad. It's just different. And, and then we'll have family and we'll have <laughs> continuity. Take those little boys who have no fathers fishing. Show them how to tie a tie. Little stuff. Get that three-year-old who's being raised by a single mother who's working two jobs at two different fast food restaurants and teach him how to ride a bicycle. Yep. Get him a bicycle. Teach him those little simple things, exposing him that's why I'm doing the STEAM program to science and technology and, and engineering, arts and math. He doesn't get to see everything black kids get to see, they get to be. Oh, that's they good. get to see they get to see basketball, so they play basketball. They get to see football, so they play football. They get to see preachers, so we got a lot of preachers. Everything they can see, they can be. Anytime the floor is level and the rules are clear, we excel. The basketball court is level and the rules are clear, we excel. The football field is level and the rules are clear, we excel. When it comes to the business world, the floor is not level. The education is not level. The situation is not level. The circumstances are not level. And the rules are not clear. Because, you know, the rules are done on a golf course, not a basketball court. Yep. So all of a sudden, I can't play the game because I didn't live down the street from a CEO or an executive or a doctor. Mm-hmm. And so that's the things that they can do. The companies can adopt small African-American businesses who were even more hit than their white counterparts. Huh. First by the economy, second by technology, and thirdly by this recession that we're in now. We're losing all of our businesses. Adopt a business. Adopt a business. Sometimes they can't afford an accountant, so they couldn't get a PPP loan because they didn't know how to apply for it. Adopt a business and just give so many hours a week to help them do their books or show them how to market their content. Or market their content when you market theirs and just raise that business up. We, we don't need welfare. 
We don't need a handout. We just need an opportunity. We need to understand the rules. Take me to, to the places you go and show me what the rules look like. Show me what to wear. Because I have to adapt to come into your environment. You don't, you, you, you set the standards. Can I, can I show you one more thing? You can say whatever you want. Ray, whenever they give you stats, uh, they say blacks are seven times more likely to have heart attacks than their white counterparts. Uh, 20% of African-American women are more apt to lose their babies than their white counterparts. Every time they make an example, you're the standard. Hmm. Hmm. Every other ethnicity is compared in our press as if whites are not an ethnic ethnicity. When in truth, when you look at global population, you're a minority. Yeah. But when you write the books you read, you become the standard and all of us are some percentage of you. Yeah. Yeah. And what we want is a level floor and the rules are clear and a, and a chance to do some layups. <laughs> so, so, I got, <laughs> so I got two more questions. One is this. Okay. There are a lot of CEOs watching this. There are senior pastors. There are people that are leading in every strata of life. And you're around a lot of influential leaders, including you're leaving here to go to a bunch. Um, yeah. What's the question you wish they would ask you and they never do? First of all, I don't think that they understand, especially the CEOs, but also the pastors too. What you are to your church, though we hold the same title, is totally different from what I am to mine. Because all our community ever had was a pastor up until Obama. Out of all of the history of this church, he was the first black president we ever had. Every black leader was a preacher. Hmm. Frederick Douglass to Martin Luther King to Al Sharpton. If you didn't have a reverend in front of your name, you didn't have a name. Okay, so all we ever had was preachers. So my church doesn't just want me to teach them about Jesus. They want me to look at the contract before they sign for the loan. They want me to come out and look at, they want me to write a letter to the court about their wow. kids. They want me to be involved in getting a playground in the neighborhood. They want me to be in the march if the march is going on. They want me to come down and talk to the doctors because the doctor says I've got breast cancer. The, 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 the role of the black pastor is totally different from the role of the white pastor. So my church would not think it strange for me to teach on entrepreneurship because, because I am a trusted voice in my community. And even though not all of us go to church, all of us have somebody who does. To the CEO, you must understand, you cannot avoid the black church and try to help the black community because we are the gateway to the community. Mm. You, 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 have to, you have to bring us to the table. And I understand you don't want to bring religion to the table because you have stockholders and shareholders who may be offended by religion and I understand the controversy of Christianity and so forth and so on. But if you are serious about bringing about change in the African-American community, let's partner together. 
And by the way, if you're looking for diversity and you can't find it, and you've hired uh, uh, headhunters, and you can't find African-Americans that are educated enough to well positions on upper-level management, let me tell you where they are. They're in my choir. They're on my <laughs> usher board. They're on my Facebook page. It is not that they do not exist. They're, 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 they can't get through your machine, and you can't get through theirs. Let me partner with you to create those job opportunities. One more thing I'm going to ask for you. Stop shutting the door on people who have been in jail. Because when you shut the door on them at your place, you open up the door for them to go back. Now, I know it's scary. I know it's scary, but 70% of African-Americans are incarcerated for nonviolent crimes. They're incarcerated not because we don't do, that we did things that you don't do. It's just that we got caught. <laughs> we got, <laughs> come on now. <laughs> I, I grew up in West Virginia where almost everybody was white. We don't do any more than you do. We get caught. And when we get caught, our fathers don't know anybody. We, number one, we don't often have fathers. And if we do, they don't know anybody to call. And so the case isn't remitted and we are given court appointed attorneys. And then the, the DA comes in and does a plea bargain deal. And the next thing you know, I'm in there for 10 years because I got to fight when I get in there. And the next thing you know, I've spent all of my life in prison and I get out of prison at 40 and I really want to build my life back, but I can't get an apartment because you won't rent to me and I can't get a job because you won't hire me. And then you say, why is he going back to prison? Where else am I going to go? Yeah. So creating a pathway, and I've been talking to AT&T and various companies who are starting to get interested for low-level, entry-level positions for people who are returning citizens is one thing. Upper-level management for qualified people who can meet the test is the other thing, and I can help you with that. Out of 30 million people throughout my social media database, I can help you recruit those people. I can help bring the diversity that your company needs in order to be progressive and in order to be relevant. Same thing to the pastor. Yep. Diversify yep. your church. Yep. Educate yourself. Subscribe to magazines that you wouldn't. Read The Grill. Get Black Enterprise. Find out what is what is going on in our community. Listen to what we say when you're not listening so you can at least understand us, understand what's important to us, understand what makes us laugh. Like if you were going to Asia on assignment, you would study the culture. Yep. Just because I'm in America doesn't mean I don't have another culture. Dignify me with the art of understanding my culture. Ask me questions. And don't do it on social media because you're going to get attacked. Because a lot of times there's white fear because you don't want to say anything inappropriate. You're afraid to say anything. Make friends with black people. Build up the relationship and then ask the questions so that when you do post something, when you do say something, when you do release a project, when you do uh, make a sweater Gucci, it doesn't look like a black face. If you had a black face in your house, well, you wouldn't have had a black face on your sweater. Yep. Not having diversity in your boardroom is expensive. You're going to spend more money on damage control if you don't have a woman sitting at the table. If you don't have an Asian, a Hispanic, a black person sitting at the table saying, oh, no, 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 don't do that. That looks like this to me. It's expensive to be isolated. And because the world is changing, if you want to be progressive, you got to be inclusive.
Yeah, no kidding. The uh, yeah, isolation. You'll like irrelevance less. Um, <laughs> exactly. The, so my last question is this. There are a lot of people, the extent of their involvement, I'm going to post something so I feel better and then walk away and never do anything. You're not wired like that. You've no. started a foundation, but the foundations have a nationwide impact. Describe yeah. your foundation, what it's about, and how people can connect. I started a foundation for several reasons. Number one, I knew that as I got older, another younger pastor may come along who may not care about the causes that I've given years of my life to. I have a Texas Offenders Reentry Initiative that's received awards by uh, this current administration and the previous administration for our effectiveness at reducing the rate of recidivism. We've had less people to go back to jail after they completed our year-long program than almost any other institution in the country, secular or spiritual. And, and we have had, I think it's 30,000 uh, formerly incarcerated people to have gone through the program. We're, we're doing huge work in that area. I want that work to continue. So I'm going to umbrella it up under my foundation so that it continues to, to exist. Then we this summer, we're doing STEM, STEAM programs for kids who've never experienced science, technology, engineering, arts, and math. And we're just exposing it to them in fun ways that they can build a robot or make a computer and get involved with technology because our workforce is depleting in America. We're going to have to be inclusive if we're gonna have enough workforce to continue. We gotta bring black and brown people to the table. White people aren't having enough kids for the workforce of the next 40 years to continue. We're going Going to have to be inclusive. The problem is black kids aren't ready because they're not exposed to science, technology, engineering, arts, and math. Let me tell you something, uh, Ray, it will blow your mind. When I open up that summer camp with, with a little push, before we could really release our marketing campaign, we had 5,000 kids and had to cut it off. Huh. Hmm. 5,000 kids like that. If, if I would have kept going, I'd have had 25,000 kids yep. who really want to be involved. And we have a global footprint that reaches all over the country and all over the world. My largest city is Lagos, Nigeria, and then Dallas, Texas, Nairobi, Kenya, then Atlanta, Georgia, Melbourne, Australia, Sydney, Australia, then New York, uh, Atlanta, we, we, we're global in our brand. So when we do something with our brand, we can either do geo-targeted marketing and reach to a specific community or a specific demographic, or we can go massive and go global with that. And I feel like I want to partner with being an answer to the problems that I see around the world. And so I started this foundation to focus on that job creation uh, financial literacy, uh, returning citizens coming out of, of the criminal justice system, and it's called the tdjfoundation.org. They can go there and find out more information about tdjfoundation.org. Uh, and it's, it's growing. I'm excited about it. The other thing that we're tackling, beginning to tackle, is affordable and attainable housing. Attainable housing meaning those police officers that we just got to talking about, 
can't afford to live in their own cities because they cannot find attainable housing. They work a full-time job. Their wife works a full-time job, but they can't pay the rent and the babysitter and the insurance to live in the city they protect. Nurses like that, doctors like that. We, we got to change that. We've got people who are cleaning up the rooms in the hospitals behind this COVID-19 who live an hour and a half from work before they can get to a place to stay. We've got to be more inclusive yeah. to people who have less and, and allow them to come in and be exposed to people who have more <laughs> so that their sons and daughters can dream and so that they can have a piece of the pie. Anytime you see people burning and breaking up stuff, they're not doing that because they're ignorant. They're doing that because they're angry. They're angry because they're locked out. And either you build more walls around your house, which makes you the inmate, or you bring down the barriers and create opportunities so that we can have a better country. That's what T.D. Jakes Foundation is all about, and, and it's just something that I'm very passionate about. Absolutely. For the, for those of you that are going, how do I take a step? How do we get? Um, we've put that in our Thrive Resources website. You can go there and connect straight to Bishop Jakes Foundation. Um, Bishop, I want to say thank you um, for two things. Then I'm going to give you the last word. The number one is this. I want to say thank you. It is refreshing to see somebody that's actually preaching and practicing what they preach. Uh, number preach. one, I just I, I I'm wired the same way. I love dreaming up stuff and seeing God use it. Um, the second thing I want to say thank you for is this: when we got off the phone the other day, you and my wife and I and you, we had a, about an hour, a little over an hour conversation. We hung up. She was in tears. And I, and she said, what do you think? And I said, we were just, this is what I said when you aren't around. I said, we were just in the presence of greatness. And I get choked up talking about this. And she said, why? And I said, he's strong and kind. <laughs> and I went, that is an unbelievable combination, which is exactly what our world, there are a lot of people that are strong and mean, or there are yeah. a lot of people that are kind, but not strong. Somehow those are two live wires that we could put that in every Christian in America to be strong enough to make a difference, but treat people like Jesus did. Somehow that combination, I just wanted to thank you. It was really fun to have that conversation with you and to watch that. And just to wrap this up, I wanted to give you the last word, my friend. It, first of all, it was fun for me. All we needed was some chicken wings and it, it would have been absolutely perfect. <laughs> I wanted to spend hours and hours laughing and talking and eating and having fun with you. And we exemplify something that America needs to see. You, just us talking. Yes. Just yep. us talking. Yep, yep. Sends a flare up to the world. Yep. That we will not be divided, that we will be united, that we will connect. And, and we can connect without me losing my voice or you losing your voice. We can care about the same things. And before yep. we could connect, but we had to be quiet. Yep. But but now this 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 moment cut loose our stammering tongue, and your presence is everything. I want I want to say uh in a final word. Don't just read about us or see us on the six o'clock news or let somebody tell you about us on your favorite news channel. 
talk to me, meet me. I won't bite you. I'm cool. I'm nice. I really am. Let's let's chill out, okay? I got white people in my family. We good. We're gonna be all right. The second thing I want to say to you, hold your elected officials on both sides of the aisle to the standard that this is important, not just to us, but to you. And make them have an agenda that is functional to resolve the criminal justice problem, the educational problems, the disparity in our school systems, and the housing problems so that we can get our kids out of the, we, we, we got these kids in these slums and they're trapped in there and they can't get out. The walls are invisible, but they're very, very high. Ask them what do they have an agenda that includes all people and make them be specific. Don't let them hand you some just cheap garbage on both sides of the aisle. I'm not asking you to change parties. I am asking you not to allow the way you describe your convictions to divide you from your own family. Let's let's be more Christian than anything. Mm-hmm. Let's be more family than we are loyal to a team. And I'm saying as adults, we're not on a football field. We're not playing a game. I'm, we don't have to be enemies because we have different ideas. Let's coalesce around the things that we agree about. You want clean air? I want clean air. You want water that doesn't make you sick? I want water that doesn't make me sick. You don't want potholes in the road? I don't want potholes in the road. You want your children to grow up and be great? So do I. You you want them to go to good schools? So do I. You want to have a healthy body? So do I. There's going to be things we don't agree about, but my God, I can write you a great list of things that have nothing to do with color and, and, and politics that we both want. Let's, let's get beyond the world's arguments to a higher level and make them serve us rather than us serve them. And together, together we could redefine what this country means and we could show the world, we could show the world that what America is, America is not land and it's not highways and it's not cars and it's not airplanes, it's an idea. It's an amazing idea. Democracy is an ideology that, that, that is unparalleled around the world. And if we just live up to our highest ideals, that all men are created equally and that, that, that we have the right to pursue life, life. Don't let us lay on the ground and say, I can't breathe. I just want to live. I don't want to mug you. I just want to live. Life, liberty, <laughs> and the pursuit of happiness for everybody. Let's do that together. I'm excited, man. I feel like I'm in church. I'm excited. <laughs> I think we can do this. And I, I just hope that you feel that enthusiasm because I think that we are better together than we are apart. I think that I am better to have met you, Ray. I think I am better. I think I'm a better person. I get I get to have a broader relationship. I get to hear the way you think. I get to borrow, glean from your ideas. I thank you for the opportunity for, for not locking your car door when I walk past or looking the other way when I looked you in the eye or walking down the street with, with everyday people. And yes, some of them said all kinds of stuff. That's the way the world is. Change is messy. Thank you for getting in the mud with us because that's what good Samaritans do. They get down off their beasts, they get in the mud, and they carry us to help. And you're a good Samaritan, and I know the people following you are too. You're not the kind of people that come over and look and say, look at what's going on with those people and cross to the other side. For that, I am eternally grateful. God bless you.
That is like being in the presence of greatness because it's a message from Jesus. Uh, my friend, thank you so much. I love you, I appreciate you. I will walk with you anytime as long as it's one block long. <laughs> I'm with you. I'm, with, I'm fat. I'm not going far. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get along well. So, hey, thank uh, Bishop Jakes. Thank you so much. This is gold. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Ray Johnston Leadership Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode. And for more about Ray Johnston or the Global Thrive Conferences, or if you have any questions or comments, go to thriveconference.org. And we'll see you next time for the Ray Johnston Leadership Podcast.